Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to launch from there this morning. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Father, that the, uh, the Word is power to us, Lord. And this morning, we hope, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit that we get it, Lord. Because, Father, there are times that I know we have ears, but we don't hear. But today, Father, I pray that you open us, Father, to hear the Word that is spoken to our lives through your Holy Spirit. Let the anointing fall upon this place, Lord, that your Word would go forth with a power and a boldness, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning we are launching out into the third message in a series of messages that's going to help us to better understand the Acts 2 journey. And so the Acts 2 journey, which we are on right now, comes from Acts chapter 2. So if you'll go to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, we're going to read them this morning. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says, Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those that were coming to life. The mission of our church is to love God, love people, reach the lost, and make disciples. But how do we do that? Well, I believe that there has to be some type of strategic plan that goes forth from the leadership of this church that helps us get to a place where we can figure out the various things that we've got to do and then do them so that we can reach a community for Jesus Christ. And we are following a model, the strategic plan, a model that was put together about 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. In fact, this few verses that we read a minute ago gives us a glimpse into how it was that they did church back then. How it is that they came to a place where literally they reached the known world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had no way of using mass media, telephones, computers, anything like that. They had to do this one-on-one. Amazing. And so we're taking that model because it worked for them. We believe it's going to work for us. And so the five components that we're learning about for this Acts 2 journey is this. We have to connect. We have to connect our lives with one another. Worship. We've got to learn how to do good worship. Amen? That's not just about singing songs. It's about living our life in such a way that it worships God. To serve. Folks, if there ever was a group of people that ought to be good at serving, it should be the body of Christ. Amen? We've got to learn how to grow, and that means grow spiritually. We've got to learn how it is that we come in as babes and we end up as mature adults in Jesus Christ. And then the last one, and certainly not least, is learn how to go. Learn how to evangelize the world. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about worship. And again, that's just living that lifestyle of praise. Just everything we do, our lives should be a praise to God. Not just that, you know, 30 minutes we spend here on Sunday morning worshiping the Lord. Second week, we learned about go. We learned about relational evangelism. 
God wants us, and we use the story of the woman at the well to conclude our message that day, and, and God wants us to be like Jesus and engage the women at the well that are around us. And so y'all are going, man, is, we just have to engage all the women? No, 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 no. You're missing the point. We just have to engage the people that are around us because that was the whole experience there. The amazing thing about the woman at the well, history tells us, but not the Bible, history tells us that that woman became an evangelistic machine for the kingdom of God. She literally went back into her city and began to win hundreds of people to the Lord. In fact, she led so many people to the Lord that it necessitated the apostles literally going to where she lived and preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But just think about this. What if somebody hadn't engaged her at the well? Amen? That's why we must go. We never know what it is that we're going to be preaching to. They might become the next D.L. Moody or the next Billy Graham. Amen? So we as a church have to be outward focused. That's what go, go means. And so this morning we're going to launch out with this next component, which is grow. Grow. We've got to learn discipleship. That's what grow is all about. Each one of us in this room, regardless of how long that we've been in the kingdom, there's always room for growth. Amen? <clears throat> I hate to tell you this, but something happened a few weeks ago that was depressing in my family. I wore out a pair of pajamas. They, they became spiritual. They were holy. And I had to get rid of them. So I went to Walmart to buy another pair that was just like them because I loved them. So I purchased them, brought them home, put them in the washer, wore them several times, washed, dry them, washed them, dry them, washed them, dry them. One day I'm in there in the washroom and I'm folding my pajamas. And, you know, I was getting them all right so that I could fold them because I don't just throw them in the laundry basket. I fold them up and I was folding them. And, and I noticed that one leg seemed to be a little shorter than the other leg. So I thought, well, it's the way I've got this thing held. And so I shook them out a little bit. And I noticed one leg was not a little bit shorter, but it was like four inches shorter than the other leg. I hadn't even noticed it. I've been wearing these things for a whole month, and I didn't even notice it. So, you know, I'll be honest with you, though. They looked right. Are you all under? I mean, they looked right. Not until I kind of scrutinized them a little closely. They, they looked right. Now... What I learned, though, is it, after I figured out one leg was about four inches shorter than the other, and that explained to me why I was limping every time I wore those pajamas. <laughs> um, I knew I shouldn't have tried that. I typed it in here, but I thought, that's not going to work. In other words, Fruit of the Loom almost got it right. Almost. I'm wearing them, though. I thought about taking them back, but I thought, nah. I'm probably the only guy out there that's got a pair of pajamas four inches shorter on one leg than the other. Renee doesn't mind. When it comes to the component grow for the Acts 2 journey or discipleship, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking the church has almost got it right. Okay? I can't say that we're doing the best job that we can do because I think we've just almost got it right. In fact, they're kind of like my pajamas. You can look on them on the outside and, you know, if you look at them quick, you think everything's just right with the, uh, with the discipleship that many churches have. But whenever it comes to grow, I think we've just almost got it right. 
one of the things that I look at whenever I, I, I see evangelism is oftentimes the grow component. In other words, the discipleship component sometimes is very weak. So whenever the evangelism, whenever evangelism is done and your discipleship component is very weak, this is what it does. It, 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 it makes your evangelism almost ineffective. See, if you have no place to raise your baby, don't bring it home from the hospital. Amen? You see, that's whenever you bring a baby home from the hospital, you're planning on how you're raising this child. You've already started a college fund. You, you know, whenever Cody came home from the hospital to begin with, man, we had shoes and camel bought for him. We were going to raise him to hunt. Evangelism that's done in a church that does not have a good grow component. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? People come, they never grow up in Jesus, and many times they just eventually leave the church. The second thing that I see is most discipleship produces inferior results. And so in other words, you know, churches disciple, 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 but many times I believe that as we disciple, we sometimes miss the target. And this is what I believe. I say, I believe so often people start at the wrong place so they brought brought in a church they're a brand new christian and so they start at the wrong place and let me just make sure we all understand this whenever you start at the wrong place it's going to guarantee you're going to have a wrong result so this is what the church does we emphasize that discipleship discipleship should be this it should be to know rational knowledge so in other words we want to teach people to know We want them learning. We want them memorizing things. We want them to do coursework, Bible studies. Are you all understanding this? You got to have knowledge. You got to have knowledge because see, the world has educated so many people and the way the world educates people is not like God wants us educated. Amen. He's got a whole different kind of system that he wants us to learn. So people have to know, they have to have this rational knowledge. And then the second thing that we do is not only do we teach them to know but then we demand behavior. We, we have this, this activity that they, might, that they must be about. Do behavioral activity. In other words, we teach them how to act. We teach them what to do. That's discipleship. So we teach them to know, and then we teach them to do. Amen. Isn't that what discipleship's all about? To know and to do. Remember, those pajamas I've been wearing, they're almost right but they're missing about four inches on one leg. And I couldn't even tell you which leg it is now. See, we teach knowledge and we teach behavior. We teach them to know it and we teach them to do it. But if you take only those two components, both of these components, by the way, are absolutely essential. I'm not saying that we should abandon this, but we should all the more teach them to know, all the more teach them to do it. But in and of themselves... Teaching or knowing and doing does not transform a life. And that's what we have to be. We have to be people that the Holy Spirit has transformed. Knowledge stops short of the Holy Spirit's destination. And the destination that the Holy Spirit wants to take you and I on is this. He wants to take us to where we love God and love people. That's the destination. That's where we're going. This church is going to be known for loving God and loving people. That's what the whole Acts 2 journey is about. And so there's this behavioral effort that's put forth. We say, you got to do more. You got to do more. You got to behave better. You got to do more. You got to... 
Man, you know, I've been recruiting folks to serve as leadership in our team ministries that we're formulating. And I thank all of you for filling out those little cards and letting us know where it is that you have uh, an inclination, perhaps, to serve. It doesn't mean that you're going to be there, but it's going to give you an opportunity to see what that broader picture is of that team that you're signing up for. If you haven't signed up for a team ministry yet, out in the foyer, there's some folks out there that'll give you a team ministry card. You can fill that out. You're going to be contacted in the very near future with that. But but that's, you know, we, we want people to serve. We want people to do. We want people to, to know. That's, that's discipleship as we know them. To be better. To behave better. But let me ask you a question. Do you remember all the stories in the New Testament about the Pharisees? The Pharisees were these guys that really just got into it with Jesus all the time. In fact, Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers, man. I mean, John the Baptist was the same way. He was hard on them as well. But she's the Pharisees in that day and time, they were the religious people in their culture. In other words, they were the ones that went to church. Are you all there with me? But yet they were called Pharisees. And we've got this really bad picture of what a Pharisee is. But let me just make sure we all understand this. Pharisees were people who knew and they did. That's what they were. They knew it and they did it. Oh, they knew the law, man. They knew it. They had it memorized. They knew every tenet of the law and then they would go out and do it. They would go out and they would fast. They would pray. They would go to temple every time the door was open. They knew it and they did it. But let me tell you what we've left out as a Christian community. And I'm not just talking about Trinity. But we've left out this one absolutely vital component of discipleship. We need life in the Spirit. We gotta have life in the spirit. Life in the spirit. That's that one missing ingredient that we so vitally have to have. We must experience the presence and the power of the living God. Let me tell you something. Whenever you know and you do, are y'all there? You can know and you can do, you can know and you can do. And many Christians, that's what we do. We put them on guilt trips, and that's what I don't ever want to do with any of you all in this room. Even as I've recruited leadership for these teams, I tell them, listen, if you tell me no, you don't want to do it, I, I under, completely understand that. I don't want you to do something just because pastor asks you to do something or do something because uh, that's what's expected of you. You see, there's this component, this thing that, that gets inside of us and it overwhelms us, and that's whenever we start experience the presence and the power of the living God. I'm so thrilled that early on in my walk with Jesus Christ, I began to experience Jesus. Man, I can remember experiencing him in such powerful ways that literally, I mean, all I was was just a blubbering idiot. I mean, as the presence of God just infiltrated my life. Folks, I'm going to tell you something that's better than knowing and doing. Come on. I experienced His power. I experienced the living God, His presence. And folks, this is what I believe we have to do. We've, we've, got, we've, we've got to exchange the knowing more and the doing more for knowing Him more and experiencing Him more. Spirit-empowered discipleship. That's what it's got to be. Spirit-empowered discipleship. 
Jesus said, I've got to go. I'm going to send back to you what? A teacher, a helper. That, that's what it's all about. It's not, it's not what you learn from, from humanity so much as it is what you learn from the Spirit of God. Let me tell you something. Paul learned a whole lot and he didn't have the New Testament. He wrote it. Amen? Who do you think taught him what it was he knew? It was the Holy Spirit. But he experienced the power and the presence of the living God. And it changed his life eternally. In 2 Timothy 3.16, there's this verse of Scripture that is oftentimes quoted. And this morning I'd like to look at it because I believe that it gives us some, some things that are very important for us to know. This is what it says. It says, this is first Tim, or sex, excuse me, Second Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So in other words, here's what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. He said, guys, listen to me. He said, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So in other words, whenever I say Paul wrote the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament, you got to understand, I'm not talking about Paul writing the New Testament. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit breathing through him. So he's writing the words of God. So it says this scripture that's breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. The purpose of God's word is to teach us what we should believe. That's doctrine. Assemblies of God has 16 fundamental doctrines. My granddaughter, who just sang a minute ago, I'm so proud of that. Uh, she's learning the 16 fundamental doctrines in her Impact Girls Club. And I believe it's imperative for us to learn doctrine. We've got to know doctrine. So the purpose of God's Word is to teach us what we should believe, i.e. doctrine. To reveal to us how we should live. It's not only teach us what we believe, but to show us how we should live. Paul said that scripture has been given for reproof. It's also in another translation, it's called rebuke. So reproof and rebuke, kind of the same thing. So if scripture is given to us as, as reproof, that means that it is to confront what is wrong in our lives. And folks, every once in a while, I get it right there. I'm in the word and I'm reading it all of a sudden. I go, poof, I got to quit doing that. I got to quit saying that. And I know y'all are looking at me like, oh, he's a man of the cloth. He's a reverend. I struggle with the same things all of y'all struggle with every day. And that's what the Word of God is so good at. The Word of God is so good at whenever you're reading it, all of a sudden it confronts us in what it is we're doing wrong. The second thing is correction. So we got it for reproof, to confront us for whenever we're wrong. But secondly, to define what's right and equip us to do it. So we've got this word that's out there and it tells us the things that are right that we ought to be doing. So reproofs or rebuke of the scripture help us to identify areas of darkness in our lives, things that, that are wrong in our lives. Corrections of the scripture uh, of scripture point us towards the light. Now, I got a verse here, Ephesians 4:29, that kind of gives us an idea of both of these things all in one verse. It says, "Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths." Let me just ask you all a question. Have any of you all ever heard that and identified with it because you knew, uh uh, I can't be doing that? That's me, okay? I've had that that I've had that experience with the Holy Spirit. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. 
that's a reproof. That's a rebuke. In other words, my wife had been on me for a long, long time about little things that I say. And then I read that verse. No corrupting talk come out of your mouth. I was a reproof. My wife was reproofing me all the time. She knew, she knew how I was supposed to talk, and she knew it because she had read the Bible. But it goes on. It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So it says, don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouths, reproof, but let good stuff for the building up that it might give grace to those who hear. That's the correction. You see, that's pointing us towards the way we ought to be speaking. So these two purposes for Scripture are very critical to our lives, to our ministries, and so on. They are, they, but, they, but they aren't sufficient in and of themselves. They set these boundaries, if you would, for what we are to believe and how we are to live. God's given us these boundaries. He's given us these things. He's given us these, these boundaries in order to direct this journey that we're on. How many of y'all know we're on a journey? We're on a journey. Anybody in here ever work with cattle or work with sheep where you're having to run them into a corral, you know, and they're out in the big pasture? Man, that can be... I mean, I've never had to herd cats, but I believe that would be almost impossible. Herding sheep, herding cattle, you basically go out into the big you know, pasture and you begin to gather them up and then you begin to guide them in the direction you want them to go. And whether it be by horseback or with motorcycles or four-wheelers or however they do it now, I think they even herd them with helicopters now. But back in the day, it was always horseback with me. And I would go out to the cattle and we began to round them up and we began to, to push them, if you would, to the direction we wanted them to go, okay? And if they began to veer off over here on this side, we had to kind of get over there on that side and push them back to the direction that they needed to be going, amen? If they got out over here, you get over there on that side and you push them back. If they slowed down, you pushed them forward. Are you all there with me? That's the, that's the way cattle are, are driven. That's the way sheep are driven. Now, by no means am I calling you a cow or a sheep, but, but just listen to this. God has given us these boundaries. He's given us the Holy Spirit through His Word that guides us and directs us on our journey. But let me tell you what He's doing. He's guiding and directing us on this journey to a very specific point. And that point is a relationship with Him and a relationship with others. God wants us to love Him and He wants us to love others. Y'all get it? See, and oftentimes what we don't understand is that there's this third component. A lot of times we just think, man, if I know it and I do it, I'm good. That's inadequate. You've got to have a relationship with Him. You've got to have that third component. And this knowing it and doing it, you see, they're just little guides that just kind of help us. They just kind of herd us along to make this journey to the ultimate goal of knowing Christ, loving Christ, and loving the people that He's created. So the reproof of Scripture 
helps us to identify these areas of darkness. While these corrections of Scripture, they point us towards the light. And so these two facets of Scripture ultimately point us towards that incredible relationship with Him. Unfortunately, too often, we stand between these two points, this reproof and this correction, trying to learn more, trying to do better. Can I just take a quick poll in here? How many of you are like me right now where I'm at in my life? I'm trying to learn more and I'm trying to do more. That's me. That's where I'm at. So we've got quite a few people in here that would identify with where I'm at. I, 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 listen, folks, I don't get up in the mornings and think to myself, I really don't want to do anything for Jesus today. I don't want to learn anything about him. It is exactly opposite for me. I want to do more. I want to be more than I am today. I want to know more about this book. That's why I study it on a daily basis. I I want to know more. I want to do more. That's good. But now that those of you that have responded to this last poll, and I realize some of you didn't respond because we're in that political season. (sighs) Never mind. And you don't want to be polled about nothing. But you see what happens whenever you just want to know more and you want to do more, you know, you want to know more, you want to learn more, you want to behave better. Does anybody want to behave better than like, like me? Yeah, I'm there. I want to behave better too. But oftentimes you see it's knowing more, it's doing more, it's learning more, it's behaving better. And so often what we end up is we end up frustrated, we end up confused, and we end up being an ineffective disciple. And so whenever we look at these things, we got to know that there's something God has out there that's going to take us to a place where we're not frustrated, we're not confused. Because I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of times where I have learned more, I have done more, I, ha- I, I, have, I know more, and all of these things are trying to behave better, and I still end up frustrated. I still end up confused. I still end up going, man, why in the world do I do that all the time? Anybody besides myself? Okay. So we know what we are to believe. We know what we're... Or how we are to behave, but we never take that journey into a deeper relationship with God. We need to take the sinner path. The sinner path. See, that's what that correction and that that reproof is all about. It's trying to keep us on that sinner path. It's trying to push us down that alleyway so that we ultimately arrive at that place where we have this amazing, deep relationship with Jesus Christ. We have to take that center path into loving God and loving others because that's what the great command is all about or the great commandments. This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 40. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the commands that Jesus said, hey, everything that's been said before this, these are the two commands right here. The Ten Commands, they're encapsulated in this. Understand that they haven't went away. But yet we got to understand that that these two commands in verse 40, it says all the law 
and the prophets hang on these two commands. So Jesus is saying, guys, you, you love God and you love people. That's it. That's why our mission statement, it says love God and love people. Win the lost and make disciples. That's what it's about. Love God and love people. But unfortunately, there's so many churches that I I would dare to say that there's not one person in this room that doesn't understand that we are supposed to be evangelistic with our lives. We're supposed to be out there winning the lost. Unfortunately, the fact is this. Oftentimes we don't. It's probably not one person in this room that doesn't understand that their need of studying this word and putting it in you. But yet we have a plethora of people in the church today, not necessarily Trinity, but in the church today who they never even open their Bibles. The only word they get all week long is the word that they get here on Sunday mornings, perhaps. And sometimes not even that frequently because they only come once a month. So my question is, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Because we're missing that one component that I believe is imperative. That is to love God, to love people. And the only way we can do that is by following that middle track and pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ. So now let's look at this 2 Timothy 3.16 again. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. That last little line there, that training in righteousness, whenever you go back and you begin to investigate what it means in the Greek a little bit more, basically it can boil down to this. A better, it can be better understood as that training in righteousness is what parents do to children. Parents are supposed to train their kids, folks. We are supposed to train our kids in the way that they ought to go. Amen? So as, as parents, we have to step up and be parents. We have to be found parenting. Amen? There's too often situations that arise whenever, I'll be honest with you, the parents are the ones in children's lives today that are probably the least, do the least amount of parenting for their kids. And don't misunderstand this. Don't get mad at me. But folks, whenever you're picking your child up after you get off work and you've only seen him for 30 minutes that morning and that was just rush, 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 breath your teeth, get your lunch, get your out the door to the bus, you pick them up at 5.30 after you get off work and then basically they do homework and then they're in the bed by 8.30. <laughs> that sounds good. Being in bed by 8.30. Are you, are you understanding that somebody else is doing a lot more parenting than you are? Just saying. But if you're parenting, one of the things you're going to be found doing with your children or you're going to have chaos at your house or anarchy at your house is that you're going to give them boundaries to live by. Amen? Boundaries. I mean, whenever our kids were growing up, we had a lot of boundaries. Sometimes those boundaries changed on a moment's notice. But, Dad, you never told us that. I don't care. I'm your dad. I'm a dictator. Now shut up and sit down. No, as parents, we got to give our kids boundaries. We tell them, don't ride your, your, your bicycle out on 441. Amen? We, we give them boundaries. We say, listen, if, you know, my preference is, is you don't eat uh, food in the carpet in the, in the living room. You know, you got to eat. If you're going to eat, you got to eat in the kitchen. If you're in bed, uh, please don't uh, bring the dog into the bed. You know, there's all kinds of boundaries we give kids. Now, here's my question. Those boundaries in and of themselves 
Will they raise mature children into mature adults? And the question, the question's answer is no. If all they're ever given is boundaries, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this. Let me just make sure we understand some children are being raised in an environment much like that. All they ever get from their parents is just boundaries. You got to do this, got to do that, can't do that, can't do this. Much like discipleship in the church. You got to know this, you got to know this, you got to do this, now you got to do this, now you got to do this, now you got to do this. I never punished one of my kids without them understanding and knowing what it is they did wrong. Because I believe that, that discipline is a process, it's not an event. And many times you just grab up a paddle and spank them and they have no idea what even you're spanking them for just because you were upset. But discipline should be a process. And so I always brought them in and I said, okay, do you know what you did wrong? Do you understand why you did it? I mean, do you understand why my rules? Okay. And then, then I would slam their head in the door. And uh, I didn't do that. I was just seeing if you were awake. But a lot of times that's the way we are. We know it. We've learned it. I learned it. I've seen it in a Bible study. Pastor taught on it. Got it in a Sunday school class. We've learned it. Now we're going to do it. Now we're going to do it. But as long as knowing it and doing it, there's got to be much more than that in your home. Folks, these boundaries in and of themselves are never going to raise mature adults. You have to have a loving relationship with your child if you're going to raise healthy kids. You've got to have a loving relationship. I'll be real honest with you. I want my kids doing things for me because they love me and they respect me more than just because I told them to. It's a good place to say amen. Just because they love me. My youngest son, Caleb, he was born. My wife had MS. He never, he's never known a healthy mom, ever. And I'll be very honest with you. Whenever he was here, he, you know, he got the short end of the stick a few times. Because he was home and I was at work and his mom needed something. And so he was the one who got to do it. I hope. I'm not going to say this 100% surety. I know there was probably sometimes he resented the fact. But I will tell you the vast majority of the time, whatever he did for his mom, he did it because he loved her. Jesus said the law of the prophets, that's the scripture, hangs on or depends on these two commands. Love God and love others. You see, Scripture has to have a relational aspect to it. Not just a knowing and doing. Scripture is there to lead us into maturity. But it has to lead us into maturity through this love relationship with God who breathed it. And it also has to have a relationship with those that God loves. The Word has to come alive. And in my opinion, the Word cannot ever come alive without a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, what we've got is we've got a whole bunch of people that know the Word. I know it. I've learned it. I have know it. I've learned it. But without that relationship, you see, the reason the church doesn't evangelize it's because we don't have that relationship with Jesus. It's, not, it's, it's the Word churning in us, not a relationship that's churning in us. Y'all follow, follow what I'm saying? I mean, I want to serve Jesus because I am in love with Him. 
I want to do what He just told me to do in His Word because I am in love with Him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. He didn't say, if you're scared to death of me, you're going to keep my commands because I can match you like a bug. He said, if you're in love with me, man, you will keep my commands. That's what God has for us. He's got this this idea that you and I need to be in relationship with Him. And that's the only way the Word comes alive to us. But this is it. Whenever it comes alive, whenever the Word comes alive, I mean, whenever you're going down the fence line and you, you bounce off a reproof over here and you bounce off a correction over here, but you just keep going down that center path until you arrive at this place that you have a relationship with Jesus. Let me just make sure we all understand this. Jesus didn't die just to forgive our sins with his blood he died so as that you and i could have a relationship with god that's the primary reason why he died not to keep us out of hell but for you and i to have a relationship with god God the Father sent His only begotten Son so that His body was crucified on the cross. Why? So that we could be saved? No. So that you and I could have a relationship with God. That's the primary reason. So, whenever this Word comes alive, you know, we know it. Forget about that component of doing it yet. But we know it. I know the word. I've been reading. I've been studying it. And all of a sudden, man, you bump up against Jesus and the word just explodes on the inside of you. Let me tell you what it'll do. It'll spur you to love other people. You know what spur means? Anybody ever ride a horse and use spurs on them? I've ridden a horse plenty of times without spurs. And every once in a while, you get a horse that deserves spurs. You know what I'm saying? Next time I come back to you, I'm going to have something pointy on the back of my boot and you're going to feel it. Come on. See, God doesn't spur us like I would spur a horse. But his that relationship, it's just like you go, I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It spurs us to love others. It spurs us to realize that we're loved. See, one of the biggest problems we got in the church today is we don't believe that we're really loved by God. Last week in youth, I taught the story of Mephibosheth, which is just an amazing story. I mean, it is an amazing story. It's an amazing story. And I had King David up at the table, and I had a bunch of King David's kids, and they were the only ones who belonged at that table. Let me just tell you, because they were the king's kid with the king at the table. But I invited other people to come up, because you know what? That's what King David did with Mephibosheth. He was, he was from a place called Lodabar, which means the land of nothing. His name means out of the mouth of shame. He had lost his inheritance, and he was crippled at that. But yet King David brought him in and set him at a table with, with Absalom and, and with, with, with Tamar and, and with Solomon and all of his children. And he set him there and said, man, you belong at this table. And the only reason you belong is because I am the king and I said so. What a picture it is of us, folks. But I will tell you this. There's no way we're ever going to feel like we deserve to sit at the king's table without having a relationship with that king. We'll always think we're inferior. We'll always think whatever we mess up, he just wants to get rid of us. We'll always think whenever we sin and, 
And we, we do dumb things that God don't want to have anything to do with us. Let me just tell you something. That's as far from the truth as you can get. Because if that were the case, he would have done away with the population of the earth a whole long time ago, but he didn't. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever would believe on him could have relationship with him. You see, whenever the word comes alive in you, it it spurs you to love others, to realize that you're loved. But above all, to love the one who's given you that word. See, I think one of the things that is missing with our worship team up here. Well, I see this bass bass guitar sitting here every Sunday and I think, man, we need a bass guitar player. We need somebody that can play this guitar and like put one foot up and jump across the stage while they're playing it. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking we're missing a bass guitar player. Maybe we're missing a few more singers. Maybe we're missing a few more instruments. And I'll be honest with you, that's not what we're missing. I think we're missing the element that I am in love with Jesus. And I have come into this place to worship the one that I love. I want to tell you something. It changes the way you worship whenever you come in here and just love on God. It changes the way you worship. You don't even need words or music. It's just awesome. It's about relationship. That's why I want to go back and tell you that that's what it means to be spirit-empowered disciples. And so why is it so important, Pastor, to be a spirit-empowered disciple? In John twelve thirty five, it says, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Darkness is always chasing us. Walk while we have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Folks, we need to stay in the light. Amen? I worked in an underground mine where the only light that I oftentimes had was this little thing right here on my forehead. Well, it was on my, it was on my hat. It wasn't on my forehead, but it was the only light I had. Every once in a while, that light would go, and I'd go, oh, dear. I'm in a fix. It happened to me a couple of times. I lost my light. I love light. I go in my house, I turn lights on all over the place. Whatever my wife was up, able to get up and walk around, she'd go behind me, turn them all off. So I, I have my workshop out that I got built. And I'm going to tell you, if you come into that workshop, you can get a tan in that place. I got so many lights. Just turn them on. And I mean, for a minute, you've got to let your eyes adjust, even in the middle of summer. Okay. It's really bad whenever you're in there and you walk out into the darkness at night. Because you can't see nothing. You just have to stand still for a little while. Got all my eyes. We've got to stay in the light. That's what Jesus is telling us here. We've got to stay in the light. There's three sources of light that you and I need to recognize this morning. First of all, there's the sun. He's the light. The scriptures and the saints. To walk in the light, a person must have relationship with the sources of the light. we got to frequently experience the scripture we got to got to get this word on the inside of us we got to we got to constantly have engagement with god's people we need each other people let me just tell you that we we need one another and one of the things i believe is lacking in trinity that we're going to fix is 
we, we just don't have relationship with one another like we ought to have relationship. I mean, we should be close to each other. We shouldn't be able to look across from that pew over here to this pew and say, you know, I don't recognize that person over there. I see them week in and week out, but I don't have any idea what their name is. We, we need to know. This church is small enough. We should know everybody. Man, whenever there's a prayer request that comes across the, 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 the realm account, we, we ought to know who that is and begin to pray for them immediately because we, we, we sense the seriousness, but yet we know them, so we pray for them. We've got to engage with God's people. Spirit-empowered discipleship requires a lifestyle of these things. Encountering Jesus, experiencing the Scripture, and engagement with God's people. Remember, our goal is to be like Him. Jared, if you'll come this morning and help me close. Our goal is to be like Him. To be like Jesus. And so discipleship has to begin with loving the Lord with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength. Not just knowing the doctrines, not just knowing the teachings, not just knowing the parables. But to really know Him. I'm going to say this, and I don't want you all to throw things at me or anything. But let's say that you're just a person that just really maybe don't understand the Word, or maybe you just don't read the Word, maybe you're not good at reading, you've never been good at books. And so maybe there's a a slack area in, in your pursuit of learning the Word of God. I've had a lot of people tell me that over the years. I just don't understand the Scripture. Okay. Or maybe you're on the other side. Remember, there's a knowing it and a learning it. I'm excuse me, and a doing it. Maybe you say, Pastor, I I mean, I come to church on Sundays, but pretty much that's all I do. It's not a lot I'm doing for the Lord outside of that. I'm not helping move His kingdom along. Can I just, can I just say something? Don't, don't throw things at me. But if either one of those two scenarios fits you, I would much rather you have a relationship than to have either one of those two things happen in your life. In other words, I'm going to say to you, and please don't misunderstand me, the word's important. We, we've got to have experiences in the scripture. We, we, we've got to have a lifestyle where we engage people, and all of that's so important. But I will tell you, if you just had to pick one of the three things, I will tell you to go towards a relationship with Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you what will happen. You get a relationship going with Jesus, and all of a sudden, you're going to say, this word is really good. It's really good. I I can't get enough of the word. (laughs) I just want to read it all the time. You get a relationship with Jesus going, and I'm going to tell you what else will happen. You'll start wanting to affect people's lives that are around you. You will not be able to sit week in and week out in front of somebody that works with you and never mention the name of Jesus Christ with them. You just you won't be able to keep it to yourself. See, this is where we're headed in this ministry. Let's say that we have somebody born again at these altars on a Sunday morning. They just finally give it up and they say, Jesus, come into my life. And be Lord. They surrender. I want to be able to walk them through the, the, the various stages. To impart the faith that I believe God has called us as a ministry to impart to them. So the first thing we got to do is. We got to start getting them in the word. 
to explore the truths of the faith. In other words, they start getting in the word. The very night I was saved, the guy told me, he said, go home and read the first eight chapters of John. Exactly what we got to do. We got to put something in their hands that helps them to move towards the truths of faith. The second thing is to embrace those truths and begin to do it in a personal way. And so in other words, if they're learning these truths and all of a sudden one of them just pops up and they say, it says, you know, you shouldn't be talking the way you talk. Scripture I read a moment ago. They begin to embrace them in a personal way. And then the third thing is they begin to experience the truths of this faith in their everyday life. In other words, it begins to rule them, begins to govern them. I can remember when I first got saved, I didn't know nothing about tithing whatsoever. My wife had grown up in church, so she was a faithful tither. But because I was the man, she said, that's your decision. We didn't tithe. All the offering plate had come by, and I'd throw a couple bucks in, but that was it. And then one day, I started reading the Word. started reading those truths. Are you all there? And all of a sudden, I figured it out. And ever since that day, my wife and I have been faithful to tithe on that that God has put on our hands. So we live it out in a personal way. And then the fourth thing is that they would begin to express these truths to others. In other words, they're saying, I'm a Christian and I live this way. Let me tell you about the way I live. That's what it is. You see, that is a spirit-empowered Christian. That's what they do because they have a relationship with Jesus.